It's such a joy for me to be here today with you, to bring the word of the Lord to you. Uh, and I'm excited because I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to work and He is going to speak to every one of our hearts. What I want to bring before you today is about the topic of worship. As we all know, worship today is such a, such a part of the church today. And, you know, every service, every time the saints gather, we come together and we say we worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord together. So I want to bring from the word some understanding uh, about this uh, concept of this, what the word tells us about worship. The truth is that we all worship something or the other. And the way we live, the way we, uh, the way we think, the way we decide, the values we have, they all tell us what we are really worshipping. To look at the meaning of the word worship, worship actually means to give worthship to. So if I give worship or value to something, that means I worship that thing. So like I said, all of us worship something. We, we, whatever fascinates us, whatever captivates us, we actually end up worshiping it because we give worship to it. For example, sometimes we are, we are uh, preoccupied with, with something, with the latest gadget or maybe the latest uh, iPhone that's out in the market. We're giving worship to that thing. Maybe it's some, maybe it's a person in your life that you're, you, you, you value so much that you give worship, worship to the person. So we all end up worshiping things, but there is only one person that is truly worthy and truly deserving of worship. And that is our God. A.W. Tozer said this, whatever fascinates us will guide us. So I pray that the only thing that will fascinate me is God and His marvelous glory. Whatever fascinates us will guide us. That is so powerful. And he, he prays that the only thing he will be fascinated by is by God and His glory because he wants only God to be guiding him. First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 29 says this way, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Only our God is truly worthy of worship because He is the most glorious. He is the coolest and the highest. There is no one and nothing that can compare to our God in being able to fascinate us. And so he alone is truly worthy of all the worship. Anything else that we get fascinated by, anything else that we give worship to, cannot compare. You know, he's, he says that he is holy. The word holy itself means being set apart far above anything else. So he is, he is way above anything glorious that we can imagine. So let me begin by just laying that foundation that we all give worship to something. But the only thing in my life that is worthy of the worship is God because there is no one and there is nothing as glorious as He is. Now, worship has come to mean a lot of things today. But we want to try to understand what the word of the Lord has to say about worship. Does what I say worship is actually, does, is that what God calls worship as well? Is we, what we want to look at. So for that, we want to go to the first mention of the word worship, just like any word you want to study in the word of God. And you going back to looking at where is this word first mentioned gives us an idea of what the word really means. So we're going to look at the first time the word worship 
is mentioned in the word of the Lord. And that is in Genesis chapter 22. And this is the story where we read about how Abraham takes, is, is asked by the Lord to take his firstborn, his beloved, his most precious, his most valuable thing or possession or the, the most valuable thing in his heart on this earth. And God tells him, Abraham, lay that before me and give it to me as a sacrifice. In verses 3, we see Genesis chapter 22. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So here is the first time this word is used and it is used in the context of this man, Abraham, taking his most precious thing. And he says, and when God is asking him to sacrifice it, he says, I will go and I will worship and I will come back. He was so confident that God would send him back. He says, we will come back to you. And if this is the first mention of, of worship, that means God's idea of worship is sacrifice and it is not sacrifice out of obligation or sacrifice that is uh, unwilling but a sacrifice out of love and out of trust to God because we see if we don't see Abraham going up that mountain weeping and crying about what God was going to take away from him but we see him going up with a heart that is confident in the God who gave him the son and he knows that the God who gave me the son is worthy of my worship. He's, he's greater than the son that he has given me and he is able to give him back to me. So in God's eyes, worship is sacrifice out of love for him. So worship is meant to cost. Worship is meant to, 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 for us to bring something before the king that is worthy of him. Worship involves every aspect of my life. It cannot be a song I sing every day. It cannot be a song I sing once a week with the church. That is not worship. I know we call it times of worship. We call those times of singing together as worship the Lord together. But even, even though we say those words, we must realize that worship is so much more. Worship involves every aspect of my life. What I give value to is what I worship. Uh, I can give value to wealth. I can give value to fear. I can give value to problems. Whatever I magnify is my worship. Uh, I, can, I can be magnifying my problems bigger than God that I'm worshiping that. So it is not just singing, but it is a lifestyle. And my worship will end up affecting every area of my life. So it cannot, I cannot sing his praises in the morning and then walk out of the room and then get into a lifestyle of worry or get into anger and hatred and bitterness and revenge that does not go together. So worship must, will invade every aspect of our life. There has always been a battle for worship. Right from the beginning of creation, uh, when we know about, where we know about Lucifer, who is the archangel of God, uh, who was thought to be a, a cherub that, that had so many musical instruments inside him. And he created such amazing music before the throne of God. But his heart lifted up in him. And though he was a worshipping angel, he, 
he he desired the worship that he was giving god and he desired it for himself and there the battle for worship began we see in luke chapter 4 uh, in the temptation of jesus in the wilderness where satan comes to tempt him and he tempts him three times one of those times he says if you will therefore worship me if you will bow down before me and worship all these things i show you will be yours he takes him to the top of the mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the world and all their glory and he says for one second all you have to do is bow down worship me give me worship and i will give you everything else so can you imagine how powerful our worship is if satan could just tell jesus one second that's all i'm asking you know you just bow down you just say that i am worthy and you get everything So there is a battle not just for the worship of Jesus but there is a battle for worship of your heart whatever we are worshiping today there there is the enemy wants to take away our worship from the king of kings and the lord of lords to the from the only one who is truly worthy and he wants to take it away from from the king to himself because he knows that when we worship the king that we are becoming like him we are being transformed and we are becoming complete and we are becoming free but when we worship anything else we are actually becoming slaves to those things that we worship so there is a battle for worship even in the word of god we see that the satan is out for your worship and he is out to try and get you to worship anything but god so then what is true worship you know jesus said in john chapter 4 that the father was searching for true worshipers the worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth and he was talking to a samaritan woman and like we know in the word of god the samaritans and the jews they had this uh, long lasting conflict between them uh, for the places of worship the samaritans said this is where we worship the jews said no this is where we worship and jesus in his in his conversation with this woman uh, brings to her one of the greatest revelations of worship and says woman the time is coming when it's not going to be in this mountain nor is it going to be jerusalem but true worshipers are going to come and they will worship the father in spirit and truth and these are the worshipers the father is actually looking for so if jesus talked about true worship then there will be a worship that is not true if he spoke about a worship that was pure that means there is a kind of worship that is not pure as well so we want to know lord what is true worship what is the kind of worship that you are looking for and that is the kind of worship that i want to bring to you so some things about true worship that we can see in the word of god true worship always flows out of a revelation of god and not just out of knowledge of god I'm sure all of us would attest the fact that we can sing a lot of songs that we don't really understand what they mean or we don't even really feel what they mean but everybody's singing them so I want to sing them too uh one famous man of god said that christians don't say lies we just sing lies because it's easy to sing a song that everyone else is singing but we need to really think about what is it that I'm I'm saying what is it that I'm singing uh true worship flows out of revelation of god and not just about uh, what i know of him in genesis chapter 12 verses 7 and 8 we we see the story of abraham where the lord appears to abraham and tells him to your descendants i will give this land and god promises him things and and uh, appears before him 
And when Abraham had this revelation of God and God spoke into his heart, his response was he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And we see then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. We go on to see in the lives of Jacob, uh, in the lives of, of uh, Isaac as well, they all built altars to the Lord. When they had an encounter with God, when they understood something of the nature of God, they would build an altar as their response to what they saw of God, their response to the revelation of God. And they would call upon the name of the Lord there. In, in Genesis chapter 33 verses 19 and 20, we see that Jacob erected an altar to the Lord and he called it El Elohi Israel. He remembered that the Lord had been his help thus far. And he, 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 that was a revelation of God that he got. He said, oh, he's my helper. He is El Elohi. And, and so I'm going to build an altar here unto the Lord. So worship comes, must come out of a revelation of God. Maybe you don't have a revelation of God. Ask the Lord. The Lord is only eager and willing to open our, our hearts and our eyes to see him. But whatever revelation you have had, maybe you know Jesus as Savior. Maybe you experienced the love of God. Worship him with what you know. Lord, I thank you. I worship you because you're a God of love. But stay in, your, in the revelation that you have and God will give you more. Desire and hunger to worship God out of true revelation and true understanding of who he is. Worship cannot be merely an outward expression. It must be an overflow of what I have known and experienced of God. Many worship their own version of Jesus, their own version of God. Maybe what I've heard from here, what I've heard from there. But the Lord wants us to worship him with true knowledge and true understanding of who he is. Out of knowing that he is good, but he's also righteous. He is merciful, but he's also just. He is kind, but he also has to be firm. He also has to hate sin. So we cannot make up an image of God that we want to make up. We cannot make up a form of God that is convenient for us. I must worship him according to what he is revealed to be in his word. It may not be what, what I'm comfortable with, but I have to humble down before the King of Kings. Because you know, sometimes we may just want to worship Jesus, the good shepherd. Oh, he's always kind, he's always nice. And that may even give us the license to, to keep sinning. We don't have the fear of the Lord because we've not encountered him as a judge. We've not encountered him as a great and a mighty king. We've not encountered him as a righteous God. When we worship him, we worship him in the fullness of all that he is. We come before him knowing, Lord, you're so merciful, yet I know that you're just. So the greater your revelation of who God is, the greater your worship will be. So we are, our expressions of worship must flow from within, from flow out of our understanding of who he is. Secondly, true worship is done with reverence, with reverence and with the fear of the Lord. Psalm 5 verses 7. Uh, the psalmist says this way, but as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy and in your fear will I worship towards your holy temple. In your fear, in your reverence, I will worship before your holy temple. So worship is, we must not be casual in our worship of God. Oh, God's my friend. God's my buddy. God is our friend. God is father. 
But when we have, when we approach him, we come before him with an attitude of reverence. We know that he is king and he's, yes, he is friend and he is father. That's because he's been so gracious to adopt us into his family and make us his own. But yet every time we come before him, let me encourage you and urge you, come before the Lord with an attitude of reverence and of honor unto him. That is the worship that is acceptable before the Lord. Thirdly, true worship is worship out of gratitude. In the story of Noah, we see when Noah came out of the ark, he was so thankful that out of every human being that survived the flood, he was there among the, uh, the eight that, that made it. And he builds this altar to the Lord and he offers up sacrifice. And we say that we see that the Lord smelled the smell of his, of his sacrifice and it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord so much that he decided he will never again destroy the world with, with the waters. This, this, there was a kind of worship that, that made the Lord's heart glad. Amen. And that was the worship that came out of gratitude. Noah was worshiping the Lord. He's like, God, I thank you that I am alive. I thank you that you kept me all these months inside the ark. And the worship that comes out of gratitude is true worship. When, you know, every day when we sit before the Lord, uh, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. I, in, in my time of worship, I, I just begin always with thanksgiving. And I think that I just, I can just go on with thanksgiving. There's so much to give thanks to the Lord for. If everything around you is going bad, there's still a million reasons to thank him. You know, I would just thank him for my brain that's working right, for my liver and my heart and just the fact that I'm, I'm alive and I'm breathing and I'm healthy. And then, you know, people around me to love me, to stand with me, the work of the Lord, salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's so much every day that we can find to give thanks for. And a worship that is with thanksgiving and not out of complaining. Because I'm sure if you want to find things to complain about, there will be a whole another set of things for that. But God accepts, God takes pleasure and delight in a worship that comes out of a heart of gratitude. So acceptable worship or true worship comes out of gratitude. Acceptable or true worship is worshiping God with your best. We see in the story of Cain and Abel where they both offered a sacrifice to God. But Cain was, was not as diligent as Abel was in picking what to give to God. Abel takes the best of his flock and he offers it to the Lord. While it says Cain just picks up you know, some of his harvest and offers it to the Lord. Some say that God, he knew that God wanted a blood sacrifice, but yet he chose to just give what was convenient for him. God looks at, at your heart and what you're bringing before him. Is it your best? Is it, is it worthy of the king? Amen. If he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, if he is more glorious than anything else in my life, then what kind of worship is fit for him? What is my best? If it's not my best, then it's not true worship. Amen. So God is looking. He, he can see our hearts uh, and he knows the, the place that we're giving him. So God is looking for true worshipers. And worshipping him with our best is true worship. In Luke 4, like I said, Jesus tells this woman that, we, that the true worshippers would worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Worshipping in truth is worshipping out of a right understanding of who God is. And worshipping in the spirit is, is, worship, is the kind of worship that is led by the Holy Spirit. 
where we are yielded and we're submitted to the Holy Spirit and we allow the Spirit of God to, to, to take us into the time of worship. And it cannot be out of our flesh. If my mind and my flesh and myself is, is going to be doing this singing, then uh, that is not acceptable before the Lord. Because everything that comes out of the flesh we know is not pleasing to the Lord. And it takes a while as we do the journey with the Holy Spirit to understand what is of the flesh and what is of the Spirit. In my own journey, uh, being a worship leader and leading a team even in our own church, I, I have been through the, you know, the journeys of leading in the flesh many, many times where you think you can do it in your own strength. And you think, yeah, I got this, you know, I got the set list, I got the song, I can hit the notes, uh, I know, I, I'm, this is covered. But you go up there and it's empty and it's dull and God is not there. And then I wonder, what happened, Lord? I thought I had practiced and I had got it all right. Uh, and then I have to search deeper into my heart and I have to see, okay, Lord, there are a lot more things that need to be put into place for a worship that is acceptable to you. And God shows me things, little attitudes in the heart, little, you know, lifting up of the heart, little self-strength and pride, the things that I can do it on my own. And over the years, it's taken a while to understand that I, the flesh is, is uh, the, the, the works of the flesh really don't matter in the presence of God. But we need to move in the spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit is the most amazing, beautiful place to be in because the Holy Spirit is such a wonderful, amazing person. So walking with Him, God looks at a worship that is of the Spirit, that is from deep within, that is authentic, that is genuine, that is there is no impurity in that worship. It is all unto God. That is the kind of worship that God is looking for. The true worshippers learn to worship in spirit and learn to worship in truth. You know, in uh, in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 9, the, the word tells us this way, This people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So God sees that this is, this is a bunch of people their mouths are going near God. You know, with their mouth, they're saying, Oh God, I love you, I worship you. But God is looking deeper, is looking into the heart. And he says, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is so far away. And that pained the heart of God. And he says, in vain do they worship me. Oh, that's, that, that was a painful scripture to read because I know I've been there. You know, where we thought that we were worshiping all right. And, you know, we had the right words and we knew all the right things to say. But the heart was so far away from God. And the Lord would tell me, you know, when, the, when you're empty inside, you have to make a lot of noise to make things happen. And that really spoke to me because I said, Lord, I want to be full on the inside. When you're full of the Holy Ghost on the inside, you don't need to make so much noise on the outside because the, the spirit that is within you will overflow. Amen. So he says, in vain they do worship me because they teach for doctrines what is the commandments of men. We don't want to be vain worshippers. Amen. We want to be true worshippers that worship the Father in spirit and truth. When God sees our worship, 
he must he must say oh their hearts are so in tune with what they are singing amen i'm really believing that god these days and i know all around the world god is raising up a generation of worshipers a generation of people that are saying no we're tired of the just the external uh, forms of worship we want to go deeper we want to know the real thing we want to experience god in in the most holy place and i believe that everyone listening to me is is here because you are desiring that too so we want to do away with vain worship you know vain worship is you Uh, you you repeat the same things over and over again i've had god tell me to stop when i've done the vain repetitions praise you jesus thank you jesus thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you and I, one time of worship i clearly remember the holy spirit said stop because you're just going on and your your heart is not in this and i had to learn to tune in okay what is the holy spirit saying and it's been a journey but i encourage you as you seek god with a genuine heart the holy spirit will show you how to be a true worshipper Another thing about true worship is that true worship is with obedience. We cannot worship God without having a life of obedience that backs it up. And worship will always demand obedience. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 we see the story of King Saul where the prophet Samuel had asked him from the Lord to go and do a certain thing to destroy the Amalekites. And Saul where he agrees to go and obey but when he gets there his heart gets drawn to the things that he was seeing so many riches so much so much fascinating stuff he began to give worship to all those things that he saw there and he told the people it's okay you guys don't have to kill everything you can take back some stuff and his worship went from what god asked him to do to all of those things that he saw and prophet samuel hears about or knows that Saul has not fully obeyed and when Samuel comes back to see him Samuel confronts him and says Saul what is the sound of the sheep that i hear that you brought back so so Saul justifies himself says oh it wasn't me it was the people like and they wanted to offer a sacrifice that's why they took the best stuff and Samuel replies to the lord does the lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the lord behold to obey is better than a sacrifice and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams in first samuel chapter 15 verses 22 such a powerful verse where the lord says do i delight in your burnt offerings as much as i delight in your obedience so if you put obedience and a burnt offering together God would any day choose a life of obedience. If you choose a great song and a and a great music team and a lifestyle of obedience, God would choose the lifestyle of obedience. So we want to bring to him worship that is acceptable to him. And he says if he says all the external does not matter to me if you're not living a life of obedience, then we need to align ourselves. We need to check our hearts to see lord is my worship coming from a life of obedience if the holy spirit is asking you to obey in certain things and you are not able to ask him for grace and he will enable you as you stay in the word as you stay in fellowship as you talk to your leaders the spirit of god will enable you to obey but don't live a life of disobedience in one side and then worship the lord or try to worship the lord on the other you're deceiving yourself we can't fool god god sees it all god does not just hear my song in the morning and shut his eyes for what i do the rest of the day god's eyes are on are, are on us all the time because he is a god of love he can't take his eyes off 
Amen. So we want to live a life of obedience if our worship is to be accepted. A, a, a double life, we can't live a double life and worship the Lord. That does not count even in the Father's presence as worship. And here's another powerful verse in, in the book of Amos, chapter 5, verses 21, 24, just to show us how much God hates the worship that does not come with obedience. I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your festive assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fattened oxen. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll out like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the heart of God. He's not impressed by great music. He's not impressed by the lights and the sounds. He says, take all of that away from me. I'm not impressed. What I really want is righteousness and justice. And I'm saying this as a worship leader. I'm saying this as someone who leads people in worship every week or so and leads a music team. There has been a week in, in our service where in the morning we did the rehearsals. Uh, we were all ready for the service. In the, my morning time of prayer, the Holy Spirit said, tell the musicians there's going to be no music today. You're going to just worship without any music. I'm like, Lord, we work so hard, so many hours. Can we do this next week? I will tell them ahead of time. Uh, but the voice of the Holy Spirit and the impression of my heart was so strong. I spoke to pastor. I said, you know, this is what I feel. He said, if that's what the Lord is asking, go ahead and do it. Uh, I had no clue how to take the service. The people are not used to it. The team was not used to it. Uh, I said, guys, I know we, we rehearsed yesterday, but this is what the Lord is asking. So we're just going to worship. We're just going to see what happens. Uh, so no music. You guys can stand at your instrument if you like. Uh, you can get on your knees. You can do whatever you want. But we're going we're gonna to teach the church. Just worship. The music doesn't matter. And uh, that day, the church was also surprised. What's happening here? But we had such a glorious time of just singing together and just exalting the Lord. After that, many, many times, many places, uh, I would just tell, you know, uh, because till then I was very dependent on the music. I, I, I being uh, leading the team, I would constantly look out for who's a good musician, who's a great singer, uh, who can I pick on the team, who can help the team get bigger, get better. Uh, but after that, I realized, Lord, is just so much more than that. Worship is just so much bigger than, you know, which instruments I've got on board and how great we sound. So God himself is saying, take away the harps, take away the noise of your songs. He says, let justice flow, let righteousness flow. So if justice and righteousness is not flowing out of my life, then God does not want to hear the songs. Amen. So let us fix our justice. Let us fix our righteousness. Let us fix our holiness. And then let the songs flow. Let me tell you, there will be songs that are filled with the Holy Ghost. There will be songs that will be filled with the power of God. But they cannot come if it's not coming out of a life that is aligned and obedient to God. Amen. So true worship is worship with obedience. True worship is worship with sacrifice. True worship costs. Let me tell you, you know, the, we think that it, the cost of obeying God is high, but it cannot compare with the joy of obedience. It cannot compare with after I've obeyed God, after I have sacrificed or given to the Lord, the joy of intimacy with Him and the joy of fellowship with Him beats the price of what I have paid any day. And uh, one more, one great worshiper in the Word of God was. Uh, 
a King David. King David had, was, was such an amazing worshiper. You know, it's a, Bill Johnson says that King David reached out in the new, into the New Testament and pulled out the presence of God from the new into the old. Because in those days, an ordinary shepherd boy had no access to the presence of God. But David there with, the, with his harp in the wilderness had somehow managed to tap into God's presence. He loved the presence of God. He loved to worship the Lord. And, where, and, that, and that lifestyle of worship continued all his life. And we see in, uh, we also see that he was a man that made a lot of mistakes. Even though he was a worshiper, there were these times his judgment would get clouded. One such time, is in 2 Samuel chapter 24, where we see David, uh, David uh, puts a census on the people that God was not pleased with. And so God sends an angel, gives him three choices of, of the kind of judgment that he would get. And David picks uh, the shortest and, and, and a destroying angel would go through the people, destroying them. And uh, at one point, the angel stops because God said, tells the angel, this is enough. And it was at the field of a man called Arona. And uh, the prophet Gad comes to David and said, David, you need to offer sacrifice here at the in, in the land of Arona. So David goes to this man and says, I, I, need to, I want to buy your land from you uh, because I want to offer sacrifice to God. Arona says, no, you're the king. Just take it for free. No, no problem. But the king said to Arona, no, but I will certainly buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that which from that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord responded to prayer for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. The, the King David refused to you know, if we would have had that, we would have thought, oh, this is God's provision. You know, that person was willing to give me the land for free. But David says, no, I will buy it with a price. I will pay the full price for, for his presence. And David said, I, I owe it to the Lord to buy it. I, I will not take it without it costing me, without me making a sacrifice. You know, in, the, in, the, in uh, Jesus' time, we see a woman coming before the Lord with an alabaster jar of perfume. They say that that was a, her one year's wages that she was, you know, keeping up and saving, probably for the day of her wedding, where the women in those days stored up perfume. It was really expensive and they kept it for the wedding day. And this lady found in Christ, you know, the fulfillment of everything, of every dream, every desire, brought hope and life into her. And she thought he was worth all that she had saved up. And she breaks this alabaster jar at his feet and washes them. And this lady gave, offered a sacrifice that was so expensive that everyone else said, what a waste, you know, why, why is she wasting it on your feet? Sometimes your worship is like a waste. Sometimes others may look and say, why so extravagant? You don't need to worship like that. But the true worshippers who know the worth of our King, who know the worth of, of how glorious our Jesus is and how worthy he is of worship, you know, anything that you give to him is pales in comparison to what the King has already given us. Amen. There is whatever I give unto the King is uh, cannot compare to the price of his own blood that he shed for me. So Lord, whatever I may offer you, it's still so little. It still is, you know, pales and fades in comparison to what you have given me. So we are always indebted to him to give. 
give our lives, nothing short of our lives is worthy as a worship for this king. So true worship is a worship with sacrifice. True worship does not depend on circumstances. True worship, whether things are going good or things are going bad, uh, a true worshipper is always worshipping. In the life of Job, we see that Job lost everything in a day. In a moment, he loses his animals, he loses his flocks, he loses his children. His greatest, the greatest blow was when he lost his children. And then he goes on, he loses his health, he loses everything that he had any value for. And his response, when one after the other, the servants came to him and said, Job, we lost this, Job, we lost that, Job, we lost this, and Job, all your children are dead. His response, the word of God tells us, is that Job, he arose from his place, he tore his robes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he went before the Lord and he worshipped the Lord. He said, I brought nothing in here, I take nothing out. The Lord gave the Lord has taken away, let the name of the Lord be praised. Years ago, uh, over 14 years now, uh, I was one day, we were, we were re rehearsing for a, a worship set and we were singing the song, Blessed Be Your Name. That was the song on the set list. Uh, so the song tells us, you know, uh, whatever, whatever comes my way, Lord, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, and at that time, I got news of my mother passing away. And in the hours following that, when I didn't know how to deal with it, the Holy Spirit brought the song back to me and said, can you, sing, can you sing the song again? Can you bring worship out at this time of grief? And that was the song that took me through that season. Because every time, you know, especially when you go through grief, you don't know how to handle your emotions at that time. Many of you may be going through very painful situations, uh, you know, betrayal, hurt, upset, anger. I don't know what it is, but sometimes your emotions are so strong. You don't know how to deal through all of that. I find worship just helps me to bring a lot of the emotions down and helps me to focus on God, focus on what I need to do and, and focus on the right thing. So worship, when, when Job worshipped, that was, that was the response of a true worshipper. But a true worshipper does not sing the songs when everything's going well. But we learn when, when things are really going bad, okay, this is, this is the time for my worship to be tested. I often tell my team, uh, you know, the songs that you sing on Sunday, the Lord will test you on them. You know, the Lord will, will he says, okay, that was a really good song. Uh, but, you know, I want to just check. I want to just purge the, the song. I want to just see whether you really meant it. So don't, you know, uh, don't be surprised if you, the songs that you sing, you're going to be tested on them. Probably often for me, it's in the same week that I pick a song that the Holy Spirit will remind me in a situation, hey, didn't you sing that song that Sunday? Okay, this is the time to, to really mean it and to really, to, to really bring the life into the song. So it is so much easier to sing than to be a true worshipper. A true worshipper will worship in every circumstance, amen, especially the hardest, especially those times when you really don't feel like worshiping. Let me encourage you to, those are the times that you really need to worship the Lord. And Job in his, in his season of, of great grief and great pain, he gave worship to what the Lord had to say. He gave worship to God rather than to his situation, rather than to his circumstance. So true worship will continue to worship 
in spite of the circumstance. Amen. In every situation, a true worshipper will find his way into worship. Another condition for true worship is forgiveness. Is uh, where Jesus himself said, if you are coming to offer your gift to the altar, if you are coming before the presence of God to worship, and you know that your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift at the altar, go restore yourself back to your brother and then offer your sacrifice. Which meant that if I bring my sacrifice to the Lord and yet I have, I harbor unforgiveness or if I know a brother is wounded because of me and I don't go back and make every attempt, every effort to restore back to the brother or the sister in Christ or whoever, anyone, the Lord says that your gift will not be accepted. So as we come to worship, it must always be a time to examine our relationships and to ask the Lord, Lord, how am I, is there anyone hurt, upset with me? There are some relationships that are hard to reconcile. You may not always be able to fix every relationship. Some people may continue to stay bitter. They continue to stay angry. But have you done everything in your on your part to reconcile? Have you apologized? Have you reached out? Or have you shut the door to the person that offended you? If there is bitterness, if there is hatred in any form, God says that kind of worship is not going to be accepted. So I encourage you saints today as you, uh, not just today, every single day as you worship the Lord, check your heart. Sometimes it may be someone in the family uh, or a colleague, parents, children. Uh, God, relationships are important to God and relationships affect your worship. So our worship, if, it want, if we want it to be true and we want it to be accepted before the Father, God also requires that, the, that we be peacemakers and we have, and to know that we have gone, endeavored to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, talk, after talking about true worship and what it looks like, uh, I want to just get into how do we really worship? Uh, and I want to start with our personal times of worship because uh, that is where it all needs to begin. Again, don't limit your worship to singing songs. When we say worship, it is way more than just the singing of the songs. Uh, it is way more than just what I do on the outside. It is a lifestyle. So knowing that worship is a lifestyle, that I have to practice a lifestyle of a worshipper. Uh, in the lifestyle of a worshipper, times of intimacy with God, times of uh, aloneness and waiting on the Lord and worshipping the Lord is a part of the lifestyle. Uh, so I can't say, yeah, I just worship throughout the day. Uh, I don't take that time to really worship, but all day I'll be, you know, in that attitude of worship. That's good, but I don't think that's enough. I think as, as a, a child of the Lord, every one of us needs that alone time, you know, to just express our hearts in love, in adoration, not for God's sake, but for our sake, because worship is, is more for me than it is for him. You know, some, some people ask, why does God want all the worship? Is he this you know, egomaniac that wants everybody, worship me, worship me. No, that's, that's not why God asks for worship. He, he knows that worship is more for us than it is for him. Worship completes me. Worship transforms me. We become like what we worship. So he knows if I give my worship to anything else, I will be distorted from the image that I am created to be in. I'm created to be in the image of God. I'm created to be like him, to think like him, to love like him, to forgive like him, 
to I'm, I'm created to rule and to reign like him and every one of us in the image of God we created to have the nature of God we created to be like Jesus and if I don't worship him I'm not going to understand how I can be become like him how I get transformed into the same image so worship is more for me than it is for God worship keeps me it keeps me from when from becoming a slave to other things because like I said in the word it says that whatever you worship you become like it and you become slaves and you become bound to the things that you are giving worship to so taking time apart to wait on the Lord in worship every day it is a privilege and not a duty you must look forward to and run into that time of worship because it is an honor that is given to us that I get to worship the king you know if we were invited into the presence of a of a great king how many of us would drag our feet and say oh I don't want to go uh, or you know we would consider it a great honor to to go before a king and here the door to the father's throne is open to us every single day so we must know that worship is a privilege it is an honor that I get to worship and uh, we must all have our own altar we must build an, our own altars of worship amen I must have a, my personal place and my personal time where I encounter the Lord in worship I owe it to him to worship him every day you know there are days when it doesn't happen and I know in my heart oh Lord I didn't give you uh, what you deserve you know I didn't give you the the worship that you're so worthy of Lord you know tomorrow Lord you know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make up for that uh, it may not happen every day but it must be you must fight for that place amen because the enemy is fighting for that place too so talking about altars of worship to run through how the worship uh, worship evolved in the word of God we know that Israel was taken out of Egypt as slaves and God uh, takes Moses into the mountain shows him uh, a tabernacle and tells him go back down onto earth onto uh, the land and build a tabernacle exactly the way I showed you on the mountain and this tabernacle was a copy of a heavenly tabernacle so Moses saw something in heaven and he was supposed to make a replica of that on the earth now this tabernacle would have a central place in Israel all the 12 tribes would camp around this tabernacle and their lives would revolve around this tent and the worship of God that would happen in this tent God gave them very clear instructions on what the worship would look like he from the minutest details and what the priests would wear and how they would enter and how they would you know what kind of utensils would be used and what kind of rituals would be performed everything God gave Moses a very very clear picture and said be careful that you do it exactly the way I showed you and then this so this this temple this tabernacle where worship would happen day and night this was the center of the life of Israel and this made sure that God was in their midst God was among them God walked with them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire but this tabernacle was where he dwelt and even when the tribes moved the, the uh, two tribes would first go then the, then the Levites then they would begin they would carry the tent and it's everything that was in it and then the tribes in the back would, would join in so this temple and this tabernacle was the center of life later on in the days of David the, the things of the tabernacle moved into a full-blown temple 
where he built this glorious temple of gold and all kinds of expensive stuff. And then the temple became the center of life in Israel. And as long as the worship in the temple was going on, the way it was supposed to, true worship was happening, Israel would be blessed. But over the years, the worship declined. Uh, the priests became callous, became lazy. They stopped having the fear of the Lord. The reverence for God was lost. And when worship began to decline, the, the sin in the land began to increase. Unrighteousness began to grow. Wicked kings came on the throne and they built up other places where of worship. And then we see the whole nation goes into spiritual, moral, political decline. But there were seasons that God would send back a revival. And one man or one king, one prophet would, would rise up and bring a revival. And every time revival came back into Israel, it, the, rest, the restoration of worship in the temple was the first step. The kings would say, let's get the temple cleaned up. Let's get all the, you know, the stuff that was, should not be in there. Let's take it out, put the ark back in, get the priests in place, get all the stuff ready and let the worship be restored. And when the worship came back in place, again, we see the nation being blessed. Worship has to be a central place in your life. If your altar of worship is not central, everything around you in your life will go out of place. Amen. The, the worship in spirit and in truth is, is the worship from the core of your being. And if God is not being worshipped there, I believe it affects every other part of your life. It's just like the sun having to be in the middle of the solar system so that all the planets can be in orbit. There are so many, there have been so many seasons in my life where worship has gone out of orbit, where the worship of God has taken a, a back seat in my life. And I know that things just, just start spinning out of control. Or maybe for, for a long time, nothing will happen. Nothing good, nothing bad. But I know that in my life, the altar is broken down. The altar is destroyed and I am uh, lost, preoccupied with other things. They may not necessarily be bad things. They may be good things. They may be things that you, you know, they're just a part of daily life. You know, they're just there. You, you can't get away from them. But there is there was not an excuse to for the altar of the Lord to be broken down. I've had to fight to put the altar back up, fight with myself. Why? Because the self wants to be worshipped itself and hates the worship of God. But I realized when that place of worship is restored, when I give worship, a, uh, the worship of God, a primary place, a central place in my life, uh, I am able to face so many things around me so much better. Does everything go right just because you're a worshiper? No, it doesn't. It is not a formula for every blessing. But I know that I am I am right with God. I'm aligned right because his worship is the is the is the center of the core of my being. But the enemy uh, the enemy does not have a place in me. Amen. You're less prone to sin. You're less prone to uh, the attacks of the enemy. You're less prone to being caught unaware by the schemes of the devil when worship is central. And there is a blessing on those that worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Even so, just like the worship, Israel had the tabernacle as the center of life. Uh, we are created to have the Holy Spirit uh, abiding, dwelling in the center of our being, the core of our being, and us being temples that offer worship unto him all the time, day and night. Amen.
So how is the altar of your life? Is What is the place the worship of God has in your life? If it doesn't, if the altar is broken down, then maybe this is the time and the season where the Lord is calling you to rebuild it, to take a time apart every day, to spend, it does not have to start as with a long time, but a committed time where you begin. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Bring out your, your thanksgiving list and bring out your praise list and just spend time in just praising him, lifting him up. You know, in the old covenant, so the, only the priests had any access even into the temple of God. And, you know, you, we know the, the, the outer courts and the holy place, and the most holy place. Outer courts had the altar, burnt offering, the bronze laver in which the priests would wash. And the people could only stand there and worship God from a distance. And the, the priests could enter into the most, into the holy place uh, where, the, where we had the lampstand on one side, the table of showbread on the other side, the altar of incense before the, the veil. But once a year, the high priest would enter the most holy place, the place of the where the Ark of the Covenant was. And on top of it was the mercy seat where the two cherubims would cover the, the place where it, God said, here I will meet with you. There on the mercy seat between the cherubims, this is the place that I will meet with you. But that place was shut out to Israel or to, the, to people for so many centuries till Jesus died on the cross and the veil was torn in two and the way into the Holy of Holies was made open for every single one of us. As we stand, as we enter his courts and we stand at the altar of burnt offering and we say, Lord, I thank you that the sacrifice has already been paid for my sins. I receive the, the blessing. I receive the healing. I receive the life that Jesus died to give me. We look at the, the bronze labor that shows us you know, the, the things that we, we are, that we need to change and we repent and we enter in into the holy place and we worship the Lord at the altar of incense and we intercede, we, uh, we, we are enlightened, we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and then we get into the most holy place. You know, so many of us, we run away from, we, we sing our songs of praises and then it's time, I gotta go, we're busy. We run out from the outer courts that if we don't take the time to enter the holy place, and even fewer make it into the most holy place. But let me encourage you, the way has been made wide open for every one of us to enter in. We must not stop short of the most holy place because he says, there I will meet with you. There I will encounter you. There you will, you and I can get to, to, to be together in intimacy and oneness. We get to talk with him face to face. Let's, let us not stop short because the, our great high priest has opened up the way for all of us to enter. Let's not take the most holy place lightly because it was a place that even angels feared to, to tread. Uh, it was a place where people would be so scared to get in because they, they were afraid they would be struck dead. And this is the place the Father is calling us into, a place of intimacy, a place of deep communion with him through worship. Amen. And this is the place where every one of us needs to get to and the longer we learn to wait there i believe our lives will be transformed and the land will see revival what happens when i worship like i said we become like what we worship second corinthians chapter 3 says we all with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror at the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from glory 
to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Amen. The more I gaze at him, the more I sit in his presence, his word says, I am being changed into the same image. Now, how many of us know when we look, we keep a poster in our room and we keep looking at the same thing every day. Soon we'll be dressing like it, you know, fixing our hair like that or whatever I'm watching, I, I, I end up becoming like that. So worship transforms me. It changes me. If you're struggling with things, you say, I don't know how to change. Can I encourage you to worship the Lord? Can I encourage you to just spend time gazing at his beauty? You will slowly, little by little, get transformed into his image. Spiritual atmospheres change in worship. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're, you're being oppressed by the enemy. Satan is, has some kind of foothold in your home, in your life, in your family. Do you know that worship breaks the power of the enemy? Worship changes spiritual atmospheres. So many, many times I, I have experienced the, where, how when we just plug in, when I plug into the spirit in worship, the air itself begins to change. People begin to experience God. King David, when he was a young boy, King Saul was being oppressed, tormented by demon, demonic spirits. And the people said, let's get someone who's a skilled musician. And let's call him so that when he plays, you will feel better. But divinely, it was orchestrated that not just would they find a great musician who would make Saul feel good uh, when the demon was tormenting him, but they found this little boy who was, uh, the word of God says, seen David, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a valiant, mighty man, a warrior, skillful in speech and a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David who is with the flock. And in uh, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 23, it says, So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would feel relieved and become well, and the evil spirit would leave him. I don't think this was just a musical event. It, the Lord was with David. When David played, I believe he began to worship. And when David's worship came into the room, the evil spirit had to leave. Amen. Let's fill our homes with worship. Let's fill our homes with praise. I don't know what you're filling your home or your life with. Is it complaining? Is it murmuring? Is it, uh, is it anxiety? Is it fear? Uh, maybe it needs to change to worship. Let worship fill your life, fill your home. Let the sound of worship rise. Because spiritual atmospheres change. And maybe some of you are struggling to sleep in the night. Uh, put on some worship music and worship the Lord before you go to bed. And the, the Holy Spirit shows you things in your life that needs to, needs to go. I encourage you, obey Him. Because the enemy is a deceiver. He will try to hold on, try to oppress you. But God is a deliverer. Amen. Wants to see you free. Spiritual battles are won when we worship. Uh, we see in, in Exodus where Moses takes the Israelites into battle. And uh, while Joshua and the army are fighting down there, uh, Aaron and Hur lift up Moses' hands. They did that because they saw that wherever Moses' hands were lifted up, Joshua would win the battle. When Moses would get tired and put down his hands, they suddenly saw the battle shift. And then Moses would do that again. And then they'll say, oh, okay, this guy's winning. So these guys figured out, hey, there's something to do with Moses' hands being up 
that's controlling what's happening on the battlefield. There's something about your worship that changes your battles. Amen. There's something about when you lift up your hands, you know, even in my personal times of worship, sometimes the Holy Spirit just impresses me. Lift your hands, lift it up or get down on your knees, go down on your face and worship. And I just obey because I don't know what the impact of you know, my going on my face or my lifting up of my hands. Maybe some battle somewhere is being won as I worship him. So spiritual battles get won in worship. King Jehoshaphat was faced with, a, with an army as big as the sand of the sea, it says. And he had this little army while the prophet said, the battle is not yours. The Lord is going to give you the victory. So this king is so bold. He goes into the battle with the praises going ahead and he says, let's sing a song of praise and get into the battlefield. And the Lord came and fought the battle for them. So many times in scripture, the Lord sends his angels to fight our battles for us when we are aligned to his will. Amen. So some of the battles you're fighting, you're not meant to be fighting. You're meant to be worshiping the Lord, exalting him, lifting him up. The angels are meant to be fighting those battles as you trust the Lord. And let me just end with a word on corporate worship. We are uh, another thing about worship is when the church comes together to worship the Lord, that is so powerful. I know in this season where the church cannot meet, we're all in our homes and on our screens. But, you know, in the spirit, we, are, we can still be one. We're still one. And as we still join together, we still sing together. I believe in the spirit, the same impact, the same power, the same influence is there. So uh, corporate worship, I'm sure we, we will all be getting back into worshiping together soon. Uh, but till then, to understand, uh, there is such power when the church worships together. We are commanded to use psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to teach and admonish one another. You know, the songs are not just meant to be sung to make us feel good or to cover the time before the message or to wait till the preacher reaches. You know, there are a lot of uses for the songs or uh, even to prepare our hearts to receive the word. It says use spiritual songs to teach and to admonish. Songs can, they say a, a song is as powerful as a thousand sermons. You can, you can put such power, such truth into songs that actually become doctrines for the church because they are, when they're birthed out of the word of God. So the, the word, uh, tells us about corporate worship, when the church comes together or when the, when the people of Israel would lift up their voices together in unity and they would, and naturally when the church is together, when people of God are together, the, 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 the only thing you can do together is worship Him together. So the, the expression of worship in song together. And when we sing together, it's really powerful because there's, there's nothing that unites a group of people as much as when we sing together. Some studies even say that your heartbeats even align together when you sing together. You know, where we sing with one voice, one spirit, one heart, one devotion unto the king. There is spiritual power in that. There is power in corporate worship. And uh, in this context, I know uh, about, the you know, that God has appointed uh, leaders in the church and spiritual leaders. And when the church comes together to lead in worship, to lead in song, naturally we will we pick up someone who can, you know, play a guitar, someone who can uh, say, carry a tune and they're, they're set as because they're just good at it. Uh, but I know that this the worship ministry has uh, become a lot of things that maybe it is not in the New Testament. And I want us to remember if there are worship leaders that are listening to me out there. I want you to remember that the worship 
the worship ministry is a ministry to serve the body of Christ. It is a ministry to serve the church. It's not a ministry where we exalt ourselves. It is not, you know, I often think after I, you know, lead a worship set and people come and say, oh, that was such a wonderful time, amazing time of worship. Uh, of course, the, you know, the, we all have to deal with our pride uh, up there because we lift ourselves. Oh, I did a great job. That was like awesome. Uh, but the Holy Spirit, you know, was telling me, you know, you're a, it's like you're a fan of this person. You're like, oh, you're just awesome. You're amazing. And then someone tells you, you know, you're a great fan. You know, you're a great fan of that person. And then, then you lift yours. Oh, I'm such a great fan. You know, we don't do that. Uh, but that's what worship leaders actually do. We are actually a big fan of Jesus. And when others tell us that you're doing a great job of being a fan that's a little misplaced, uh, receive it, but don't take it in. Amen. You know where the real glory belongs. Uh, so as worship leaders, uh, we need to learn to handle criticism. We need to learn to handle appreciation because we're going to have both. Uh, and over the years, I've learned that, you know, to not to get pushed too up or not to get pushed too low because, you know, one day you hear great stuff, the next day you hear uh, terrible stuff or, you know, terrible things happen. And to keep my heart focused on, hey, what's my role here? My role is to serve this body of Christ, to lead them as they worship the Lord. I can't lead anyone in worship. It's the Holy Spirit that leads the church in worship. My job is to create an environment or to give them a song that they can hold on to, to lift up worship to Him. And once they get into the presence of God, I am uh, oblivious there. My role is over, you know. So as worship leaders, I know that uh, it, it's a place of where, it's a place where Lucifer himself stood and he could not handle the glory that was going to God. So guard your hearts if you are if you are in the worship ministry. Guard your heart. Don't make such a big deal of uh, of all the fanfare and the lights and the sound. Uh, it really doesn't matter because we are meant to be true disciples and true worshippers of the King. Amen. So let your worship be genuine. Let it come from your secret place. Don't have a, a song that is louder on stage than it is louder in your secret place, in your quiet time. Amen. And for everyone else, rebuild your altars. Let worship be the central part of your life. Let the, let everything else revolve around the worship of God. And when I mean worship, I don't just mean the song. I mean a lifestyle of adoration and a lifestyle of giving God the first place and of being true worshipers that worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God bless you.